Uh, we are being Second Peter today, and I believe that's page 1207, if you're using the Bible provided in the pew there. I didn't turn to mine early enough, so. We're going to be in the first chapter. We're going to be in several verses, so uh, I may or may not even... Uh, I, I know I probably won't finish on time, but I'm going to do my best. Um, so I'm going to have to preach fast, so you've got to listen fast, right? And that does not work. Let's make this work right. Why is it upside down? There we go. Now we're straight. All right. Usually I get all this done, but I was just too involved in that song. Amen? Yeah. Ah, that's good stuff right there. Uh, they're from Kentucky. Where'd they go? Um, <laughs> there he is. Y'all are from Kentucky. My granddad was born in Kentucky, but I was raised in South Carolina, so I didn't know that. But I, the older I get, the more I feel the kinship with you guys. So, thank you. That's a, that's a good feeling. Sorry, I'm going to put that right there. We're, we're in Second Peter today, and I think they took it out of my Bible. There it is. It is page uh, 1207. I was right. I'm going to go through the first 11 verses. I wanted to do a little bit, but... We've just finished 1 Peter, and 1 Peter was about persecution from without and, and running into troubles in life and these kind of things. And, you know, when y'all are touring around, you can pull it up on our website, whatever. Just listen to my sermons. I think I'll be a blessing. Just kidding me, you guys, man. A uh, blessing. But uh, anyway, but we come to 2 Peter, and 2 Peter is about us. It's about what are we building in our life. And so the last time we talked about in 1 Peter, we called it, in a world of imposters, who are we, our identity, uh, the church in its identity. This series in 2 Peter, this time I'm calling it A Life That Lasts. Because Peter tells how to build our life. He's showing us a lot of things about our lives in 2 Peter. And uh, I said this a long time ago, and I want to repeat it to remind you, that uh, uh, one of my professors, uh, as we had to go through this book with him, said that those who don't believe in the Word of God, being the Word of God, hate Peter, 2 Peter, for three reasons. Chapter 1, chapter 2, and chapter 3. Uh, that they all are just chock full of tremendous things. In fact, a lot of people don't think Peter wrote 2 Peter. Well, I do, um, because... He says, it says he did, and we can trust that. And there is a dispute and debate about that, but we can trust that Peter was a human author. But Peter, in these first 11 verses, and I, I will go ahead and confess here at the beginning, the middle of it, I quite didn't understand for a long time. Because I only ever heard that middle part. And, and, and uh, when I say the middle part, I'm talking about uh, verses um, uh, 5 and 6, basically. And, and people would say, you need to do all this. But it didn't tell us why, how we could do it or, or why we were able to do it and what were the results of us doing it. And once you put it all together, it begins to make sense. When you pull it out and make it a Hobby Lobby plaque, it's hard to understand, right? So we need to see the, all of Scripture, read what came before and what after every time. So I'm going to do that. And I also want to admit just publicly uh, because I believe in doing this. But I listened to a sermon on this by Skip Hertzig. I think I'm saying it right. Hertzig, Hertzig. A great pastor in Albuquerque, New Mexico. And I'm, I'm stealing the ideas from him. I'm not using his. I wish I could do his exact sermon. It was very good. But, but in a large way. So if you hear that sermon and you look up that sermon. It's a, it'll be a little different from mine. But when you see similarities. Our preacher's stealing. No, I studied. I just... I like the way he kind of did it. And 
as we start, he uses a great illustration, and I'm going to use it. I also research this, make sure, you know, sometimes preachers use illustrations, people told them, and they're not true, but this is true. Um, but he, he went at it as a building, like a, a physical building. And he uses an illustration, and I will, and I'm going to quit saying he now. Uh, but the Leaning Tower of Pisa, everybody knows what that is? It's a, it's a structure in Pisa, Italy that's tilted. It was supposed to fall in 2007. It was built in 18, early 1800s, and it was supposed to fall. They realized it was going to fall, so they went in and they shored it up and put it back to its original leaning position, but they put more foundation under it, and now they say it won't fall to 2,300, or 2,300, I should say, 2,300. We'll all be dead and won't care. But in the meantime, if you happen to go there, you can eat at the restaurant that's in the shadow of the leaning tower. It's not going to hit you. But here's, here's why it leans. Do you know why it leans? Because obviously, yeah, the people didn't know what Pisa means. Pisa means marshy ground. <laughs> so they thought, hey, this is a good place to build one of the first skyscrapers in existence. And they did. And now it's falling over because it didn't have a good foundation. So we are talking about a foundation in life. But I'm coming at a little different uh, than a, a building. We, the Bible says we are the building of Christ. Now, I got in a discussion with a guy at the gym uh, this past week uh, as he was, uh, we, we got to talking about uh, who Jesus is and, and, and why we should follow him. And, and I was just hit anew with the fact that, that everything good in our life is from him and we humble ourselves. If, if we're going to be like Christ, we become a nothing, a nobody, and we begin to bless other people and we help other people people. And so we, we need to, to look at that. And how do we grow in Christ? And so here's what I want you to take home with you today as a take-home statement. Are you growing up or just growing old? I, I, you know, I'm, 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 I love fun. I, I try. I, I don't say I try. But, you know, people told me many times in my life, you need to grow up. I, I've heard that phrase a lot. And, and here's the deal. Growing older is not an option. Growing up is. <laughs> and we're going to see that we ought to grow up in Christ. We ought to mature in Christ, and he's going to show us how. So let me jump right into it now so you can see it. The, the, the first thing I want you to see is we have to get faith. We have to get the faith. And I'm saying the faith because the faith is the, is the body of doctrine, the body of belief that brings us into salvation because we believe who Jesus is and what he said and we need all of that framework to, to understand now that we know it all when we become a follower of Christ but we should be growing in that faith and that's what he's going to talk about here in this chapter and we begin to know more and more about him but you can't grow up if you were never born right Jason you can't grow up if you're never born right he goes share his testimony later uh, about that uh, hopefully tonight he might mention it but listen you got to get the faith. Now, I want you to notice who Peter is. I, we've said this before. It's the apostle of Christ. In Matthew, Jesus says to Peter, you are the rock. And on this rock, I'll build my church. And I'm going to give you the keys of the kingdom. And what you open on earth will be open in heaven. What you close on earth will be closed in heaven. Now, that doesn't mean he was the pope. They got that wrong. Catholics got that wrong. They're wrong. There's no evidence of that at all. But what did happen is we see in Acts 2, Peter opened the door to the Jews. In Acts 8, he opened the door uh, to the Samaritans who are half Jewish. And in Acts 10, I believe it is, he opened the door to us Gentiles 
Cornelius, an Italian guy. And the church, we saw the fulfillment of the promise to Abraham that in him all nations would be blessed. And we became spiritual children of God. So we are Jews in a spiritual sense as that we were born under the covenant of faith. Abraham believed God. It was counted to him for righteousness. So we call the body of the gospel our faith, the faith, or faith. We're going to use that term again later, but most of us, we think of faith, we think of something that you can't define, it's just out there, it's a belief in something we hope is there. Faith is not at all that. Faith is an assurance of what we can't see is real, and that we're going to put all of our weight on that belief because God told it. Well, in the first two verses, Peter shows us about that faith. Because you've got to have birth before you can have growth. So let, let me just read the first two verses. Simon Peter, Simeon Peter, a servant, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ, may grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. What strikes me here and where I started later, and I'm going to come back around to it now, is that Peter shows great humility here. Because I already told you why. He's, he's the guy Jesus said, I'm giving you keys to the kingdom. Well, Peter was of, of such a nature that he's kind of loud and bossy, and, but we see him being ADD, so he's all over the map too. You see that in scripture. But Peter, look at this humility. Simon Peter, a servant and apostle. First, I'm a servant. The highest, the highest thing you can have is to be a servant. Now, the word servant is the word we use for deacon. The best deacon there ever was was Jesus. Though he was never called a deacon, never held the office of deacon. Because he being equality with God thought that not something to be held on to, but emptied himself and took on the form of a servant. And being found in fashion as a man, he, became obedient, he humbled himself, became obedient even to death on a cross. When Jesus washed the disciples' feet, he said, you call me master and Lord, and you're right, that's who I am. He had just done the lowest job any servant had to do, wash dirty, stinky feet in, in, in the Middle East, in Israel, after they walked over dirty roads and at the end of a work day. You went into a, a guest's home, the lowest servant would wash your feet. They go into the upper room for supper, and none of the disciples do that. Because after all, I, I ain't washing his feet. You know, I, you know, I can just hear, I'm not washing James. You, y'all ever had to sleep by Bartholomew? Man, his feet stink. I ain't messing with it. And Jesus did it. And he said, you call me master and Lord. You're right. That's who I am. But if I wash your feet, you need to wash each other's feet. Do what I just did. Now, there's a lot more to that, but that's not the sermon for today. So I want you to catch that. And not only that, look at what he says next. In the, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Peter doesn't put himself up as, well, I'm the spiritual giant. He says, your faith is equal to my faith. There is no higher and lower when it comes to faith. You either believe or you don't. You're in or you're out. You're on or you're off. There's no guesswork in this. Well, I think I am. I hope I am. I, I'm not sure. I'm toying with it. I'm thinking about it. No, you're either in or out. Right now, I'm in this room. If I go out of those doors, I'm out of this room. I can stand in the doorway, and you can say, well, you're in both places at once. But in reality, I'm not, because I'm not in either place. Okay, so faith is very solid, and you're either in faith or you're out of faith. But notice what Peter says. You've got a faith equal to ours, to mine. It's not a higher level. The the story is told of, of General Lee after the war 
he was praying in front of a church and African-American gentleman knelt beside him and somebody grabbed him and said, hey, hey, you know, you need to move. That guy's there. And he said, all ground is equal for the cross. Because it is. And so he says, you're no more special than me. You have an equal faith to mine. And then he prays a blessing. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge. But then... I want to say this about growing up in Christ before I get too far. Not only do we, we can't grow until we're born again. That's, that's the point there. But spiritual maturity does not equal physical age. We got 80-year-old babies and 20-year-old men. It, it, it just work, it, it can work that way. Because you're either serious about the Lord and you're growing or you're not. And, and some people grow faster than others. I know that. But even spiritually. But your spiritual growth is limitless if you access what God provided. Now that word in the Bible is grace. It means God's righteousness at Christ enabling. Why? How did Christ enable us? By going to the cross and dying for us there. Where he bought all the promises of God that we find in scripture to give to us. 2 Corinthians chapter 1 if you think I'm just making that up. As many as may be the promises of God in him they are yes. So we get the faith. And then we need to grow in that faith. So we start in verse 3. And I'm going to read them all. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Through the knowledge of him who called us into his own glory and excellence. By which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises. So that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature. Having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective and unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Peter is telling us here, number one, look at the provision there in verse 3. God, first of all, has divine power. He has all power in the universe. He created it. He didn't lose anything by creating everything. I, I cut grass yesterday, and I monkeyed. I mean, it was done. That's what we called it growing up. I'm done. I had to just go sit down. There's just no way I could go any further. It was hot. I was tired. It just, I was wasted. I recovered a little bit. God created all the universe, and it didn't wear him out at all. He still had a lot left over. It's like, yeah, that's good enough. We'll leave it right there. I mean, think about that. That is the power that God has. In other words, he has the resources. But not only does God have the power, he gives us his promises. Look there, verse 3. In his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Everything you need to be a Christian, God has provided. And then he says... By which he has granted to us his precious and great promises. So that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature. I read that phrase. I was like, how do you become a partaker of divine nature? So I looked at what does it mean to be a partaker. It means a common ownership. That God has given to us himself. We understand this in, this, in these words. Who came to live with us at salvation? The Holy Spirit. The third person of the Trinity. God lives in. Not only in your mortal body, but something we miss in the American church. 
he abides in the church, the body of Christ. Now, if a body is at odds with itself, it's diseased. Just let that sink in. So, in a church that is fighting, somebody is not in the Holy Spirit. They're not a Christian. And if you are a Christian and you're fighting, God's going to convict you and you're going to quit that. Because there's no place for that in the body of Christ. So, people become evident. John wrote about that later. He said, there's one guy, he loves to have the preeminence. I'll take care of him when I get there. He tells you not to listen to me. I'll fix him when I get there. So, God has given to us his power and his promises. When he says he gave us his, he wrote the check. After church, I could tell you, hey, I'm going to give you a check for a million dollars. Problem's going to be when you try to deposit that. They're going to say, that dude don't have a million dollars. I don't have the power. I can make a promise, but I don't have the power. God's got the power, and he made the promise. So we can cash God's check, in a very gross way of saying it, to access his power. And here's what I want you to grab hold to. What God expects you to do, he gives you the power to do it. When we were teenagers, we'd say, God doesn't order off the menu unless he pays for it. When God tells you there's something he wants you to do, he enables you to do it. And if you're not doing it, people say, well, I tried Jesus, but it didn't work. No, Jesus works. You didn't work. You didn't access faith. You just pretended. Because when you access the grace of God, you'll become what God intends for you to be. And you'll act in accordance to that. God didn't call everybody to be a preacher or missionary, but he calls everybody to preach and do mission work. Right? He calls all to talk about him, to brag on him, to tell people about him. Because growth demands cooperation. Did you notice? It says he gave us all things. And then he says, add to your faith down here uh, in, in verse 5. Make every effort, it says, to supplement your faith with. He used the word supplement. I don't know if you ever took supplements. But they kind of like your diet's lacking, so you take some supplements. Well, well, he says, supply along with your faith these virtues. Well, why do we have to add something if he's already given us everything? Well, we can illustrate that a couple of ways since Jason and his band is here today. You've written songs, right? You guys have written songs. I don't know how y'all cooperate in doing that. And so you got it all on paper. You got the words done. You got it done. Does it make any sound? Does it, does it bless him? No, not till y'all perform it. God has given you the song. you got to sing it. See what I'm saying? That, that's a, that's, I like that illustration. Another one is a doctor. I've had some surgeries. I've never said, hey, can I help you? Just give me a scalpel and leave me awake. You work on the right, I'll work on the left. No, he knocks me out, he does it. But what does he do after? Here's your post-op instructions. Take these pills, do this thing. Right? And so we aid or add in our healing. We add to what has been provided. So when we see these things, God has already given these things to us, but we have to access them and use them. So let's look at the list real quickly. There's seven that he gives us. First of all, faith. I've already talked about that. Faith is given by the Lord. He saves you. You don't save yourself. Nothing you can do to be saved except understand that God wants to save you and say, yes, I'm in. I want that. And he says, well, then you got it. And he begins to work in your life. And that's a wonderful thing. It sounds simple, but whew, it's a big cost. You give him everything you, you are and have. 
Those are verses 1 and 2. And he says, add to what God's already done, virtue. That's a moral excellence. That is taking what you have and making it even more. Not better. I can't say better because you can't get better in salvation. But you can make more of it. Some people take advantage of their salvation and make much of it. And so that's moral excellence. Uh, I, I believe uh, it was President Reagan. He met with the Olympic team before they went out. And this would have been the early 80s sometime uh, in the 80s. But it came out that he met with that team and all the Americans that were going to the Olympics. And he said, go out and produce some excellence. They had been working. They had been striving. They had been getting ready. Now he says, go out and make excellence. That's what God's saying. I gave you what you needed. You, you, you have it there. Now go make a lot of it. Make moral excellence in your life. Secondly, um, uh, not only virtue, but knowledge. This isn't the common word for knowledge, which is gnosis, which... We, we even use that word in a way in English. But the way the Greeks spell it, we call it know. K-N-O-W is G-N-I-W-O in Greek. Gnosis or, or N-O. But this is epinosis. This is ultimate knowledge. This is full knowledge. Add to your moral excellence knowledge of who God is. You ought to be growing in the knowledge of God day in and day out. You can't do that unless you're in the Word, you're in prayer, you're in fellowship with other believers. Those are means of grace to add knowledge into your life. Some people get saved and say, I'm going to heaven, I'm happy. I'll address that a little bit later. That's not enough. He said, if you're saved and you're going to heaven, you'll want to add to your faith virtue and knowledge and self-control. It means to hold oneself together comes from a Greek word to those who did Olympics in the, those days of Greece where an athlete would deny himself certain foods and eat certain other foods and train and exercise to mold his body into what it needed to be to win a game. That's self-control. I'm not going to let in what harms me and I'm going to really overdo what is good for me. It's self-control. Control, control and, and stay where you need to be. Hold yourself together. And then steadfastness. That's a word for endurance. That's the never quit attitude. That you got to kill me to stop me. And if you don't kill me, when I heal up, I'm coming after you. That ought to be the Christian attitude toward winning the world to Christ. We're going to do it. We're going to hit it. When we get stopped, we're going to back up, figure a way around it, and keep moving. We're never going to quit. We're always going to be moving forward. Steadfastness, endurance. Godliness. Now that word can has been misused at least in my life when I was a kid it was misused oh that's not godly they, they, they said I had a three piece denim suit it was made out in the 70's early 70's bell bottoms probably big wide lapels probably a pastel shirt and they told me I was ungodly because it was made out of denim I did not know that God had condemned denim I'm wearing denim today it's cotton God grew cotton, so it's cool, right? And cotton is cool. I was a double entendre there. I didn't realize. <laughs> Godliness means to be pious. It means to be tight with God, right with God, and right with people. If you are in Christ and you have all these things, you add to that godliness. You know that you are right with God, and that helps you to be right with other people. Because you're going in his commandments. You're not worried about this life. You're worried about the life to come. 
And then he says, add to that godliness brotherly affection. You'll never lord godliness over somebody if you love them. You will help them to build moral excellence in their life, right? You'll help them to become godly. Godliness just means you look like God. You, you act like God. You speak like God. In, in, in Romans, I think it's uh, 5, 6, it says, At just the right time, Jesus died for the ungodly. That means unlike God. You don't look like God. You're acting like God wouldn't act. You're saying things that God wouldn't say. You're thinking thoughts God wouldn't think. So godliness is acting like God would act, saying what God would say, thinking what God would think. Well, that takes discipline. That takes immersion in the word of God. And if I have that, then I'm going to love you as a brother. It's the word you all know, Philadelphia's, Philadelphia is our word. It's not right. Uh, philos, which means love, a brotherly love and affection. It's what this band has for each other. It's what we have for this band. It's what, you know, I teased them about matching the guitar to the drum kit. I don't know if that was accident or <laughs> you went, hmm, that's a cool guitar. I could match the drums. I don't know. But anyway, because I know he didn't buy extra drums, but you might have got more than one guitar. Everybody looks at me like, dude, I'm just joking around, okay? <laughs> Y'all can smile. It's all right. Everybody's looking at me like, is he serious? I don't know. But they got brotherly love for each other. And they can joke. They can carry on. They can just. But that's not enough. He goes on and he says, not only brotherly affection, but add to your brotherly affection, love. That's gospel love. That's Calvary love. That's denying yourself that you might give yourself to the one love for their sake, seeking nothing in return. Where you will die if that's what it takes, but you will die to self to give yourself away to the one loved. Self-denial to give yourself away. That's God's love. Now, you say, well, yeah, I caught some of those. I need to work on that. No, 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 no. One leads to the other. If you have salvation, you'll want to have virtue. You will want to have moral excellence in your life. And if you have moral excellence... That's going to lead to wanting to know what does moral excellence look like. And it's going to drive you to increase your ultimate knowledge of who God is and what he desires. And if you get that, then you begin to develop self-control. Oh, God said this would be bad. So I'm, I'm not going to go to things that are going to harm me. I'm going to stay where God has me. And you start exercising self-control. And when you do, you get endurance. I've got discipline. I'm going to keep moving forward. And when you get that you begin to develop a godlike look or attitude about yourself so that you love people who are hurting the worst. You are sympathetic, you are empathetic, and you want to give them the gospel that can deliver them and help them. And, and you love your brothers who are suffering around the world, those who are dying. You're, you, you, you feel the impact of people that are caught into human slavery today, more slaves today than there ever was, and especially even when we had slavery in the United States. And you will care and you have brotherly love to want to rescue them. And if you have brotherly love, you'll want to move into God's kind of love where you deny yourself to see it happen. That makes a lot more sense, doesn't it? That Peter says, you've got an equal standing in the faith. Now, this is what you ought to look like. But then he tells us why he creates a life that produces an abundance. When we do that, we begin to create an abundance. Look at verse 8. We begin to see the fruit of it. If these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffectual or ineffective and unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whosoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Whoo, big verses. 
Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fail. The fruit becomes abundant when we use the right ingredients. And he just gave us the ingredients. The fruit will begin to be abundant in our life is what he says here. If, if these qualities are yours and increasing, it's not a one-time shot. It ought to be increasing through your whole life. You never arrive. I feel like I've started all over. I open my Bible now and I'm like, why didn't I see that before? I've been preaching almost 45 years. I've well actually preached for 50 years because I started five years before I ever was called a preacher. I got serious about God about 50 years ago. And I feel like I'm just starting. You never get there. That's what heaven's for. I can't wait to get there. It's going to be so good. But it's, it's a, we're running a race in this life. Isn't that what Hebrews 12 tells us? We're in a race, a race to the end. And the, these ingredients continue to grow in our life as we mature in Christ. You see, this word here in, in the ESV that I'm using, it says... They are increasing. The, the, the King James says they are abundant. They are overflowing. There is more there. It means to make or be more. It's the word increasing in the SV. But I want to talk a minute. I told you I'd come back to faith. It says these qualities of yours are increasing and keep you from being ineffectual or unfruitful in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And notice... If you're lacking the qualities, you're so nearsighted that you're blind because you forgot where you came from. We should never forget what God saved us from. That'll make us grateful. When we look at where he's taken us, that'll make you humble. Because we're not there yet, right? If you compare yourself to other people, you can get proud. But I want you to check this out. There's, when we talk about faith, there's a misunderstanding. There's... there's People say there are types of faith. I don't believe that. You either have faith or you don't. But there is a false faith. There's a, there's a wrong faith. What is the false faith? Is this. Oh, there's water right there. Praise the Lord. It's people that say, I believe in God. I've gone witnessing a lot. And you're talking to somebody and they go, well, I believe in God. So I, I found that verse in James that says, you believe in God? Congratulations, the demons believe and they tremble. You made yourselves good as the devil when you believe in God. Faith has inherent in the word action. Faith is not something I just sit back and go, well, I got faith. Faith says, I got so much faith I'm going to do something about it. Just read the whole book of James. That's what he's all about. Oh, you say you have faith. Let me show you my faith. I show you my faith by what I do. I am trusting God. I am obeying God. I am out there believing that what he said is true and his promises are true. And he's given them to me and I'm going to do them now. Oh, that's a real faith. So our faith is firm, but it's not stuck. It flows out of us. When you've got a real faith, it flows out of us and blesses other people. Isn't that what he says? That... That therefore we are all the more diligent to confirm our calling and election. I'm diligent to say, yeah, I'm in the faith because I keep growing in these things. I keep working these things. And we practice those qualities and we don't fail and they bless other people. Forgetting is failure. You don't fail when you, when you mess up. 
You fail when you forget where he brought you from and that you have to depend on him for all these things we're talking about. You can't do it yourself. You are cooperating with him in them. You are going by his instructions and you're doing what he said. You're cooperating. You're saying yes. Because remember your salvation and who you were before that. And you realize God's working in my life. God has me growing. And, and those who, of us who have been saved a long time, we get a little... I don't know the right word. I don't, want to, I don't want to insult anybody. But we get a little uppity. Or we get a little callous. Like, well, you know, you're, you just, you're so ignorant. Oh, you're, you're a horrible person. No, there are people caught in sin. There are people who are struggling. They may be a brand new. Did you bring your children, those of you who are parents, did you bring them home from the hospital and go, I just, I can't believe you. I mean, why don't you just get a job? Why do you cry so much? Why don't you just go to sleep? That will solve it. Just go to sleep. And baby, all of And we get new believers and we start expecting them to act like mature Christians. When you expect that, you're probably not mature yourself. Do you get the sudden dichotomy of the sudden, whoa, you're right. Because if you're a mature Christian, you know, whoa, we got a newborn babe here. We got to feed it. We got to take care of it. When it cries, we got to change its diaper because it messed up. So we get to clean it. I've talked about Janice's stepbrother had a child that had real severe intestinal issues as an infant. I didn't know that. And he was changing a diaper. And I am newly married, don't have children yet. And the smell of that diaper about made me throw up. And that's going a lot because it doesn't bother me usually. I said, how can you stand to do that? And then he told me about his child's intestinal issues and how through surgery he's better. And he's, I'm so glad to be changing this diaper. When you realize that God did surgery on you and fixed you, and then he puts a baby in your hands, you realize, man, God wants to use me to help this baby grow up. I hope, I, hope, I didn't intend to use that illustration, but thank God. But here's the last thing. I haven't read verse 11, have I? Look at verse 11. For in this way, you'll be rich, uh, the way, this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Don't build your life for now. There are people that are fighting, gouging. James also addressed this. Scratching to get ahead in this world. <laughs> I'm going to inherit it. You can have it right now. He's going to give it to me. You keep fighting. I'm going to build for a different place. I'm going somewhere else. Build for a life that will transfer into heaven. It's, and notice this, abundant welcome. There was a man named Robert Manry. And in 1965, he sailed across the Atlantic. A lot of people have done that. He did it at that time, the smallest boat. Not the smallest actually, but the shortest boat ever. A 13 and a half foot boat. Took him 78 days, left Falmouth. Massachusetts went to Falmouth, Cornwall, England. Cornwallis, England. Cornwall, England. And you can imagine the suffering. I think it was like a, a, a double hull thing. It was only 13 and a half feet long. That's about the surfboard. And he ran to all kinds of problems. He had to lash himself. He said at night he had to stay awake when he was especially near the shipping lanes because he's going to get run over by a big tanker and never see him. 
And he's nearing the coast and he is exhausted. 78 days. He spent sleepless nights to make sure he didn't die. And in his mind was just, I'm going to get there. I'm going to get a hotel room. I'm going to shower. I'm going to eat. And I'm going to go sleep for days. But the closer he got, there was something out there. There were 300 boats waiting on him. And he hit shore. And there were 40,000 people cheering him. This life is a tough journey. And if you look for help now, you can only look to God. But there's coming a day when you'll see in the distance a place. And you'll say, I just, I just want to get there. But when you get there, you will see the cloud of witnesses of Hebrews 11. Going, good job. Good job. Way to go. You're almost here. Come on, come on, come on. But did you know some people aren't going to get that welcome? Uh, this is where I'm going to quit preaching and go to meddling. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, he says, No one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Christ Jesus. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire, and fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work anyone has built on the foundation survives, he'll be, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he'll suffer loss, though he himself will be saved as though coming through a wall of flame. Jude says, some you rescue, snatching them out of the fire. There's some people that are going to see heaven in the distance. When you get there, it's going to be somebody there going, glad you made it. Peter and I were taking bets you weren't going to get here. <laughs> which, which ending do you want? Say, well, I'm going to heaven. That's good enough. It's not what Scripture says. Scripture says you'll get there, but like you just came through a fire. It's better to let the fire burn you here than at the judgment. That's what First Peter was all about. We are under persecution, therefore live righteously. So, that was First Corinthians chapter 3, by the way. So build for the next place, not for here. So, what can you take home with you today? Would you put it up the first one, please? Make sure your foundation in life. Are you saved? Do you know that you are saved? Are you in the faith? Make sure the foundation. Secondly, determine what you need to add to your faith and then do it. All of those things. You need to add to your faith. They, one leads to the other. Increasing in all of those things as you go. And thirdly, live for the king of heaven. If your focus is on Jesus, again, I think I said this one last week too, but the hymn writer said, put your eyes on Jesus, and in the light of his glorious face, all the things of earth grow strangely dim. Paul also said, this momentary light affliction is not worthy to be compared to what's to come. He said, you talk about your faith, I bear in my body the marks of the gospel. When Paul got to heaven... There wasn't a question. He was bearing in his body the scars of this life. And God healed him and wiped away his tears. And he's at peace. What's going to happen when you get there? Let's pray. Father God, in Jesus' name, we approach your throne, a throne of grace, of a of, of free gift of God. 
Not by our merit, but by the blood of Jesus who loved us and gave himself for us. And in the name of Jesus, Lord, please challenge our hearts according to this scripture we've looked at today. Lord, none of us are worthy. If we were worthy, you wouldn't have had to die. If we were capable of doing it, we wouldn't have needed you at all. Even our redeemed selves were not capable of doing it, but our redeemed self means that we have access to the power of God, the grace of God, to do what you ask us to do. So may we do it fully. Nobody's looking around right now, but Jason, the band's going to lead us in a song. And I'm going to stand here at the front. If you just want to come pray around this stage, you can do that. But if you need to talk to somebody, come talk to me. I, I, I may, you may have to wait on me, but I'll get somebody else with you to, to help you out in the meantime. Or they can help you because they know what they're doing too. But if you need, just need prayer, you can come. If you need to know that you're in the faith, if you need to, to receive Christ this morning, come talk to me. Maybe you, sh- you were in the faith, but you've wandered far from God. I pray that today God will speak to your heart. I can't do it, but God can. So, Lord, take this meager offering and use it for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen.